Welcome to the Anonymous Andrew Podcast. Life and the choices we make. The choices other people make. Why we choose to ignore the red flags. Red flags like gaslighting, cheating, addiction, mental illness, and much more. What role do they play in relationships? Follow me each week as we discuss these topics with anonymous guests and experts to hopefully become better humans, resulting in better choices. Like I say, been there, still doing that. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Anonymous Andrew Podcast, Life and the Choices We Make. So today's episode, I found a gentleman named Justin Bryan. And Justin Bryan has an amazing story of addiction and alcoholism and mental health issues and how he overcame all of it and now is a bestseller on Amazon's um, book list. So um, I'll let him tell you all about it in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this one. Stick around at the end for some announcements and thank you for supporting me. Hello, everybody. Anonymous Andrew back with you with another episode. And today I am excited to bring you um, a gentleman named Justin Bryan. And Justin Bryan is a mental health advocate, the motivational speaker, and has a book, a bestseller Amazon book. And I love the title of this book. It's called Chasing Shadows, Fighting the Monster Within. Hello, Justin. Hey there, Andrew. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing very great now that you're with me. Uh, Justin, tell us a little bit about you because we met on a venue where podcasters uh, meet guests and podcasters and your story intrigued me and I want my audience to hear your story. Well, I appreciate you having me and inviting me onto your platform so I can share, you know, some of my background uh, and what I did to, you know, get out of that uh, situation that I, you know, part of me put myself in, but part of me, you know, had mental health issues. So I struggled from a very young age with self-worth, self-confidence and self-esteem, but I, I had no idea that I had those insecurities growing up. Right. I had, I didn't know what mental illness was. I didn't know what really insecurities was, but because of those insecurities, I, um, I would act out. I try to be the funny man. I try to get people to like me because I didn't like myself. You know, I always felt less than other people and I would actually put people on a pedestal ahead of me. So I didn't drink much in high school, but when I, when I got out of high school, you know, I started to drink a little more and a little more because I realized what it did for me. You know, it gave me self-esteem, self-confidence and self-worth. But what I didn't realize, everything that was giving me was fake. And everything it started to take for me was very real. You know, by the time I was, you know, 21 years old, I was a full-blown alcoholic, and I was bartending downtown Vancouver, BC, Canada, and uh, that's when my life really started to, you know, become fun but take a turn. You know, I was drinking almost every single day by the time I turned 24 years old. To where he had a bartender come up to me and he asked me one day, he said, "Justin, you think you drink too much?" And I looked at him and I brushed him off because I didn't listen to anybody at that age. <laughs> Who does? And I said, you know what, man? 
I'm young and I like to have fun. There's no way I drink too much. And I did what I did every single night. See, I would close up that bar within 15 to 20 minutes, go out for power half hour, power hour, whatever you want to call it, drink as much as I could. And then I'd actually walk home and I'd phone up, dial a bottle, that more alcohol waiting for me when I got home. Mm-hmm. Well, one night at 24, I was walking across the Canby Street Bridge in Vancouver and a thought rings through my head. And it says, Justin, do you drink too much? And I said, there's no way I drink too much. You know, I'm young. I like to have fun. I'm in this big, beautiful city. And I'm a bartender. You know, there's no way I drink too much. So I took a couple more steps and a couple more steps. And all of a sudden, a thought rings through my head again. And it says, Justin, are you an alcoholic? Well, all of a sudden, at that moment, I had a, a warm feeling rush through my body. And I said this word for word. There's no way I'm an alcoholic. I go to work. I pay my bills. I'm not a low life. And I'm mm-hmm. too smart to be an alcoholic. I was so smart, in fact, that that year I graduated from alcohol abuse to drug abuse. So at 24 years old, I did cocaine for the very first time. And I didn't remember the night. So I phoned up my buddy and I asked him what happened. And he told me. And I was actually kind of taken back from it because I wasn't against other people doing drugs, like their life, their body. But I was always against myself doing them. But that night I did them. But he said something to me that, you know, you shouldn't say to a person with my mindset. And he says, man, you were funny last night. So all of a sudden, it clicked for me. I had alcohol for confidence. I had drugs to be funny. You know, I had Michael Jordan's special juice from Space Jam. You know, one shot of this and I'm I'm super Justin. Mm. I tell you, I was the only one that thought I was super Justin. And that kind of started at 24 years old, my spiral. And there's two pivotal moments that really stand out for me at 24. Um, it was about six months later, I I moved back home. And I'm working at a nightclub. And I had to get a ride home that night because I lost my license for drinking and driving. But on the way home, me and a buddy started talking about the topic of depression. Where I actually looked at him and I said, you know what, man? Depression is for the weak. Depression is an excuse. You got to man up. You got to go to work. You got to pay your bills. You got to take your feelings and you got to bury them down deep because we don't talk about them. Now, looking back on him, I didn't know why I said it then, but now looking back, I definitely know why I said it then because I was trying to look stronger on the outside than what I was feeling on the inside because I still had that feeling of less than. And now at 24 years old, I had two major problems, substance abuse and my mental health. Mm. But at 24 years old, I'm ignoring the two major problems in my life. Substance abuse, because I'm not a low life and I'm too smart. And mental health, because it's for the weak. So that kind of just uh, started to escalate from there. You know, I started to move around a lot. I started to go from province to province um, in Canada. I moved city to city, chasing wherever I could make money because I'd, I'd get fired from drinking on the job or I could go make better money somewhere else. My drug use started to pick up. I started to lose a lot of weight, get skinnier. Yep. And um, we're at uh, 28 years old. You know, I, I finally moved home and I finally... I finally asked for help, but at 28 years old, when I finally asked for help, I actually started to become suicidal and I'd have those suicidal ideation for about six years. Now there's a couple times where, you know, I woke up one night or one morning, sorry. And, um, there was a knife in my bed and there's blood on my sheets. And I looked down and my wrists were cut. Now I don't remember doing it at all. 
but I remember the feeling I had that night when I got my mom to come pick me up from a pub. I went out that night and, you know, hanging out with friends and all of a sudden I just got this dark feeling come over me. You know, like I need to leave. And so I left. And when I'm on my way home, I started talking to my mom in a weird way. And when I got home, because I was living underneath her, trying to get my life back together, I went downstairs. I, I guess I grabbed a knife and I, I cut my wrist. And I, I don't remember it. And I'm very fortunate that I'm still here. Now, fast forward a little bit. Um, 29, Like I was on and off again with a girl. And finally, she ended up leaving me because my drinking was just out of control. But we always kept in touch. And then finally, one day, she phoned me up and said, Justin, we need to talk. She's like, I'm pregnant. She's like, now you could be in this kid's life or not, but I'm having this baby. I'm like, well, obviously, I'm going to be in this kid's life. There's no way I'm going to let this kid grow up without a dad. So right then and there, we actually got back together. I wanted to try to make it work. However, my drinking didn't stop. And I ended up getting in a car accident. And I was like, oh, cow, you know what? I need to I need to go to rehab. I have a kid on the way. I need to go to rehab. So at 29, I went to rehab for the very first time. Or 30, I went to the rehab for the very first time. And I went with the wrong mindset. You know, I didn't really go to get to get better. I kind of was embarrassed. I thought I had to, right? I, I, I technically had to, or I should, right? Um, but I didn't really want to. So I went there, I did all my courses, but I, I worked out twice a day. I ate, I put on like 20 pounds or something like that, or 15 pounds in 35 days. And I got out. And the first thing I said when I got out of rehab was, I'm done drinking forever. Well, you could probably guess what happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> One I'm month later. Yeah. Sorry, go on. I, I, I'm quiet because all of this is resonating with me, but continue. I, I... You're telling my story, so go ahead. Yeah. Um, one month later, uh, we have our son. Two months later, I started hitting the bottle again, making bad decisions. Six months after that, my girlfriend had made the toughest decision of her life and leave me at my lowest point. And I don't blame her. Mm -hmm. I don't blame her one bit. I was in no shape to have a kid around. Not only that, I was asked to take a leave of absence from work. You know, I couldn't concentrate at work. And I'm very fortunate that working in a mill, running equipment, I never heard anything. You know, because I couldn't keep my thoughts together. You know, I kept asking myself every single day, Justin, are you going to make it? Now, I remember one time when we broke up, my girlfriend would drop my kid off for him because I wasn't allowed to drive with him in my car per court order. So I was lucky that she dropped him off. But one day she dropped him off and I was really struggling with my mental health. I was mad. I was angry. I was confused. I was sad. I was irritable. I was depressed and I was suicidal. But I kept that inside because I didn't want to tell anybody because I was scared that if I told anybody... I would, people would think I'm not fit to have a son, right. right? They'd take him away from me. So I buried him down deep, like I always did. And what does a two-year-old want to do when he sees his dad? Well, he wants to play with daddy. Unfortunately for me, I couldn't, so I distracted him. So I picked him up and I took him to the store. I grabbed a bag of chips and a bag of candy and I brought him back home and I put him down in front of the TV and I turned on a movie for him. I gave him that bag of chips and I gave him that bag, bag of candy and I did that so I could distract him. And as he sat there distracted, I walked in behind him and I started to stare at the back of his head. And I started to ask myself that question. I asked myself every day for six straight years, Justin, are you going to make it? Are you going to make it to see him graduate? Are you going to make it to see him get married, to teach him how to ride a bike or to score his first goal in hockey? And the answer that I up with every single time was no. You know, I couldn't picture myself in his future because 
at one point I got hospitalized for the third time, second time in two weeks with alcohol poisoning. And when my ex brought him in to see me, he said, mommy, what's wrong with daddy? Mm. All right, then there's something clicked in me. He said, this kid deserves a dad that's better than me. You know, a dad that's going to teach him the ways of life and going to raise him right. So I thought I should end it. I thought that would be the best thing for him. Now, when I got out of the hospital, I would think of ways on how to do it. And I was very fortunate that around that time, I started to listen to motivational speaking. And all these motivational speakers had something in common. And they all talked about finding your why. So I started to ask myself, okay, Justin, what is your why? What is your why that's going to drive you and motivate you to get better? That's going to pick you up when you fall down. That's going to encourage you to do the things that you don't want to do. So I started to look at that little boy. And, you know, I started to reframe my thoughts. And I said, you know what? Instead of ending it so that he could have a better dad, well, why don't you get better so mm-hmm. you can become that dad? Yeah. You know, if I get better for him, I get better for me. And if I get better for me, I can actually help other people. Now, win win. Yeah. So a lot of people will say you have to do it for yourself. I know personally for me and some people in rehab, we couldn't do it for ourselves. We had to find a reason to do it. For me, it was my son. And people will be like, what people don't realize though is that when you do it for me doing it for my son, I got better for him. I ended up getting better for me. And now I get better for me. So I went, I decided to make, I like to tell people, you got to find your why. You base your decisions around that why. And then you figure out the how. So I made my son my why. My next decision was to go back to rehab. So this time when I went back to rehab, I went with the power of why. So Justin, why do you drink? Well, I'm depressed. Why are you depressed? I got low self-esteem, low self-worth, and low self-confidence. Now, why do you have that? Well, I didn't learn how to deal with my mental health. So in rehab, they they taught us the why, but it was funny. In rehab, you know, one of our first days, we were allowed to go for a walk as a group, right? You can't leave the premises for like five days or something like that. And when we walked around the strip mall, I happened to notice a liquor store um, to my left. And it wasn't the liquor store that caught my attention. There was a sign outside the liquor store that big block letters, this huge, massive sign. It said... BC wine is cheaper than therapy. <laughs> well, I looked at the 20 other guys walking with me and like, hey, does anyone have 20 bucks? I can solve <laughs> all our problems. You know, let's get our money back. <laughs> but I'm like, wow, this is kind of a weird sign to have about 500 meters away from a rehab center. From a rehab, but right. It's life. One thing I learned in rehab was, while well, you're changing in here, life stays the same. Life goes on and around. Ain't- yep. Life ain't going to change for you. Nope. You change for you and then deal with life. Right. Correct. So I went back to rehab and I did really good in rehab and then I got out and I was doing really well for a couple months, but I started to be, I went back into car sales and I'm not a car salesman. I have social anxiety. <laughs> so I started to get anxiety and all of a sudden three months later, that pink cloud hits. I start to think, holy cow, I have to do this the rest of my life. Holy cow, I can't, I couldn't manage my emotions. I couldn't imagine my feelings because I wasn't doing the things that I learned. I wasn't sticking to my coping mechanism, my journaling, my gratitude, my counseling, my medication. I wasn't being consistent with that stuff. Listen, recovery is a forever thing. You don't just go, hey, I'm in rehab now. I'm great. I had a buddy say, hey, quit drinking. You'll be fine. Well, guess what? That's not how it works. So I got out of rehab three months later. 
I start drinking again. Month and a half later, I do drugs and I phone my boss. I don't even remember phoning him saying, I can't do this. And then I wake up the next day, holy cow, I don't have a job. And so I kept drinking again. And all of a sudden I woke up January 4th, 2019. And I found myself looking around my basement suite. I'm looking at the pictures of my kid, looking at his toys in the corner, looking around at the darkness in my room with my shades closed and towels on the windows and tinfoil in my room so no light could get in. <laughs> and I'm like, Justin, you have two choices. You can end it. Or you can get help. Your son can either grow up without a biological father or with one. So finally, I phoned my mom and I said, Mom, you need to take me to the hospital. So with that, she picked me up, took me to the hospital, and I finally, with my bump, my dad to my left of me, my mom in front of me, and the counselor to the right, I finally said those words out loud that, you know, I had a plan, and my plan was to end it. If I was going to continue to feel the way that I did, that I was going to end it. Now, just saying those words out loud in front of them just lifted this burden off of me. So I spent probably the day in there talking with the counselor and talking with my parents, and then I was allowed to go home because I lived underneath my mom. And from that day, um, I actually got back together with the mother of my children. Uh, we have now another baby girl and I became a speaker, a coach and a, a author. And I was just on this journey of trying to help people understand that there is more to life than substances, that there are other ways to deal with your feelings, how, Self-love is probably your best love. How recovery, if you're in it, needs to be the, mo the most important, important thing in your thing life. In your life. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't stay recovered, your whole world's going to crumble. So my, um, my wife knows that. She's okay with that. Is this the same wife that was your girlfriend? So you married her? We are married now, yeah. Excellent. Very good. Justin, you in so many ways told my story uh you know i'm a, I'm a little older but i became an alcoholic in my 20s got married in my 20s and i did the same thing i had children and I, as you were telling the story about putting them put the, the child in front of the tv with a bag of chips uh i at the time when i was nintendo had just come out so my kids were into nintendo boy was that a lifesaver for me because i just had to put on mario brothers and they would be able to sit there while i could go in the back room and do lines or um drink or or nurture my hangover um yeah that res so i what i just took away from that was the life after so for those of us who are in recovery or and but at the time you don't see a future you don't think that they, like you said you you figured that your your family would be better off without you um and, and whether it's alcohol or addiction or whether it's a relationship and you're in the midst of that horrible dark place you don't think that there's life after that. Like even when, and I, and the same with me, I got clean and sober for somebody else. So as you went in initially for your son, 
I went in for a woman who I was engaged to, and she said, you got to stop drinking. So I went in, I, I entered a 12 step program and I got sober, but I got it for sober for her. And she never came back. And um, so very similar, you know, you listen to enough alcoholics tell their stories. There's, there's always a common denominator. And I yep. like your, I like your, um, the why, the why. Um, so tell us a little bit about this book you wrote. What prompted you? And, and it, I guess it was all about your journey up until that point. So it, it's more than just a biography. Um, so I got out of rehab or the hospital and um, I wanted to go to school. I ended up speaking at a school for troubled teens and I loved it. You know, I loved it. In rehab, I actually told everybody, this is probably the first promise I ever kept. I'm like, I'm going to be a speaker one day. I'm going to be a motivational speaker. Good. And then I got out and I spoke and I had about... And two weeks of sobriety in me. I'm like, who's going to listen to me? And the counselor's like, just come in. Just come in and speak. So I went in and spoke and I loved it. I loved looking around the room. I loved them all staring back at me and uh, mm -hmm. knowing that I could hopefully impact that one kid. And so I went to school. I went to, you know, get funding to become a speaker because there was funding for schooling. And they wouldn't give me funding, right? Because I proved that I could speak without the, without the the schooling right mm. i'm like well i just volunteered for this i'm like okay so i looked at something else and i ended up falling into life coaching. i found some life coaching uh certifications so uh, i went to and got three different life coaching certifications i got one through tony robbins strategic intervention i got a couple through um the rainer institute out of calgary alberta canada that's um accredited with the international coaching federation so i got my professional executive coaching certification and my accredited but what i did was i took everything i took my story i took what i've learned in coaching i took what i've learned in rehab and i made a book out of it so a lot of it is my journey with learning lessons in between so it's broken into three parts so you have life with alcohol life after alcohol and then mm -hmm. the third part is learning lessons so at the end of every chapter, there's a question. You just got to answer the question, right? And it builds up into other questions. So there's 20 chapters. So there's, well, there's more than 20 questions in there. But it's a book of, it's an autobiography, I guess, but it's a book on personal development. And it's a book on the how. You know, we talk about the why. But it's a book on the how, right? There's chapters on self-love. There's chapter on the human needs. There's chapters on making change possible. Um, there's chapter on your internal dialogue and the words you say to yourself. Mm. There's a chapter on your support network. So it takes my story, but not just tells my story. It teaches my story. Good, good, good. But I didn't want to just be another autobiography. Yeah, we, we there's a lot of autobiographies, but I, 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 well, number one, I admire your honesty and your vulnerability and, and, um, as another recovering alcoholic slash addict, um, I, I um, find your story to be fascinating. Um, what I like my audience, uh, uh, I never know who who's listening, but if there's anybody out there that is struggling either through a relationship 
and uh, or mental health. By the way, I live with bipolar disorder, so I'm, I am under that umbrella as well. Um, and I found out early, I, I did get sober back in my 30s. I had about five years sober, but I, I went back out and I too went and, and got a, a certification. Uh, I became a, a, a case actor, credentialed alcohol substance abuse counselor, but that blew up in my face. Uh, I ended up drinking over it because I thought that I was better than everybody else. I had learned about alcoholism and yada, yada, yada. And I went out. I stopped going to my meetings and I went out and I, for the grace of God, I stayed out for 18 years and somehow I made it back. So, but I think the point that I'm hearing and I'd like to, my audience to get to, to hear is that there is life after this, these dark periods of our, of our earlier days. If you're in a bad place, relationship or mental health or, or addiction, and you don't think there's an out, there is, there's help. And I admire your self-awareness to reach out multiple times to, to the people in your life, your mom and, 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 and going to the rehab and, um, and you did it, you made it and you wrote a well, book. I've actually, yeah, I've been to over a hundred doctor's appointments because I would go make sure I saw my, my, my general physician every month just to yep. talk to him just to talk and it was 15 minutes that's it i've been to 100 doctors appointments uh, 45 addiction appointments i've been to 77 days in rehab 19 psychologists 10 psychiatrists i've tried eight different medications from bipolar to adhd to anger to sleeping pills mm -hmm. um and i found that one why so i i did whatever I could to get help. I also started to listen to podcasts, to podcasts of people like me who struggled yep. and what they did to get better. Yep. I have actually a friend right now who's a gratitude partner. Me and him text each other every day to say what we're grateful for. Oh, cool. I had a friend, you know, even in my, my darkest, and I didn't answer him. He still made sure that he texted me, even though he's mad at me for not answering him. How are you doing? You know, the thing with substance abuse or addiction is is that you start to isolate and you start to hide uh -huh. <laughs> and it's yeah it's easy to get frustrated or angry at that person for not allowing them into your life yeah however you have two choices you can push them away even more you can give up on them knowing that they they're giving up on themselves correct or you can let them know that they're still seen they're still heard they're still loved and they still matter. Even if they don't answer you. Let, let me ask you this. Um, now that you're, you, you're in recovery and, and you wrote a book and you're a motivational speaker and you're a, a coach now, does life still throw you curveballs? Holy moly. Yep. I can, yeah. yeah. And how do you deal yeah, oh, with yeah. them? How do you deal with those? So my daughter was born. She was born in the Ronald McDonald house or the BC Children's Hospital. And we lived in the Ronald McDonald house for six years. You know, when I was, uh, I've had me and my, my girlfriend, wife now, have lost three, three babies to miscarriage. Oh. My grandfather, who's my role model, who's in the book, 
took a turn in one day and passed away, never getting to read my book. Mm. And, you know, I started to live in the land of the shoulds where should have, would have. Should be here. I should have this many kids. I should have this. I should have that. And, you know, I got, I got dark not yeah. too long ago. Right. I, I got my, my thoughts were negative. My beliefs were negative. My thought process was bad. And I had to go back to the one thing that's, that's probably one of the best things that you could ever learn in your life. And it's something that I learned in rehab and in coaching and it's called acceptance and forgiveness. Yep. And how acceptance and forgiveness is actually for you. So there are going to be times in your life where there's an event or a person hurts you that mm-hmm. event that, you know, it's, it's outside of your control comes up, surprises you and smacks you right in the face. The first thing you're going to have to do is accept it. Yep. It doesn't mean you have to like it, but you have to accept it so that you can forgive it. And you have to forgive it so you can move on. Move on. Yep. And you have to move on because if you don't, you will live in the land of the shoulds. You will live in your past and you will not be able to create your future. So I had to accept that my grandfather passed away. He lived a good life. He almost made it to 91. Um. I'd accept that those, I would think, okay, I have, I should have five kids, but those three, I'll be able to meet again one day. And who knows, maybe they're hanging out with my grandfather and, you know, my best friend that overdosed and my cousin that overdosed, you know, they're going to be up there. And I, I do have a belief in God and I believe that I'm going to go up there and I'm going to see them again. So whatever it is, and I'm not saying you have to believe in God. I'm not, I believe in something though. Yeah. Believe in something bigger, a higher, a higher power, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so I yeah. had to go back to that acceptance and forgiveness part, and a lot of it is is that one of the biggest things is I know who I was, I know who I am, and I know where I'm going. I too um, turned to podcasts early in my. So when I got sober, uh, almost next week will be eight years. Um, and I did put the drink down and the drugs for somebody else, but eventually came around to doing it for myself. And I too started getting better. And I also, I like what you talked about your doctor. I have a a really cool doctor. He's, um, uh, my father was a doctor. So I grew up with a lot of doctors in my life, but they were older men. And, and I always, my perception of a doctor was somebody 50, 60, 70 years old, and they were wise and old and educated. Um, I, I'm 63, and my doctor is maybe 38, 40, and he's one of the coolest guys. But this doctor, when I would go in for my checkups while I was actively drinking, would say to me every time, you got to stop drinking. You're killing yourself. And I'd look at him and, and I was insulted. I would actually think he was insulting me because that's what our, we're selfish. And we're, we think like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I, that doctor was the one that I went to when I needed help. I finally sat down with him and I made an appointment. And I said, you're right. I'm in trouble. I need help. And he's the one that set me on my path to recovery. Um, and now I see him every three months. And we, and it's for the past eight years. And um, if it's for nothing else, just to check in and, and uh, you know, he does uh, blood work on me and, and make sure, cause I'm a little older and I, I do have some issues, but, and they're all alcohol 
related. I have, I have some issues with the body that I did some damage, but, um, but I, but I, and I also want to touch on the, on the, the grateful thing, having a grateful buddy. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Having, having somebody, somebody recently told me because I was going through this dark period after this relationship where I was <clears throat> doing the should have, would have, could have, um, and there's, there'll be no life after this girlfriend. And, and why did I get sober? And in, in my 12 step program, I don't, I don't know where you go, but in my 12 step program, they have this thing called the promises where if you get, so if you follow our steps and traditions, we promise you this and financial insecurity and, and a bunch of promises. And I got all those promises within three or four years. They all came true for me. Until that's why I asked you about the curveball, because all of a sudden life started throwing curveballs at me. And I was like, wait a minute. If I thought that if I got sober and cleaned up and got help and did the right thing and helped other people, and I, I too, I mentor some other people and I, I run a mood disorder support group for people with mental illness or mood disorders. But all of a sudden I was getting bombarded by life on life's terms. And, uh, it sucked for a while, but um, leaning on your support network it was was key for me and getting to that. And this last relationship was no different. I am so happy that I'm here today and grateful because I too, suicidal was, suicide was an attempt. I, I made several attempts back in the day. And um, even this past relationship, uh, those thoughts crossed my mind. Um, thankfully, I they're just thoughts and I didn't act out on them. Justin, what a story. What an amazing story. And, and, and um, I, I'm, I'm impressed. And um, uh, I think I might actually look up your book. Um, I, 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 I always ask this of my guests, if, especially if they're an author. Is the book available in audio? Do you know if they have an audio? Amazon must have. No, I haven't done an audio version yet. If I do or when I do, I'll do it myself, though. Okay. Oh, good, good, good. I, I, I have, a, I, I repeat this all the time, but I have a tough time sitting down and reading because there's an ADHD problem with the bipolar, but I love to listen to books as like I do listen to podcasts. So Justin, is there anything else you'd like to, uh, anything that we missed or you would like to add to, um, let's say that there's somebody listening who's struggling with addiction, struggling with mental health, struggling in a relationship, life is throwing them curveballs. Can you give them ask, some? Ask for help. It's, just, it's actually a sign of strength and not weakness. Correct. If you are a man, stop living by the man of stigma. Like, yeah. Get over yourself. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm going to put it I, that way. Get I agree. Yourself. I asked for help. And because I asked for help, I put my family back together. I have another kid. I'm in my, I get to coach my kid in hockey and baseball and soccer and golf. I get to travel to speak on mental health and substance use. Good. I get to do all those things because I asked for help. But not only did I ask for help, I had to stay consistent with my help. I had to stay consistent on my medication. I'm not on medication anymore. And if I, if I feel like I'm slipping, I'll go back. But I still have a psychologist where if I, I feel like I'm going backwards, I reach out, I give him my hand, I let him grab it. Yep. And then we chat. Mm. Make the first step. Just, yeah. you know, make the call. You might have to do an intake. 
But when you speak to somebody, tell them what's on your mind. Yeah. Don't hide anything back. Don't hold anything back. They will not judge you. They're there because they want to be there. Exactly. And and I, I, I agree that there's a masculinity thing about that. It, <clears throat> a man can't ask for help. You know, that's that may that may be of the older generation from 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Today, there are so many resources out there. You can't turn on the TV, the radio, a podcast, uh, look on the Internet. There are resources anywhere that and you can if you're afraid to, to, to say your name, you can be anonymous and ask for help. There are hotlines. There are um, uh Website that you can just join and, and ask for help. There's communities, of course, and then there's the 12 steps programs. So, uh, yes, please, if you're in trouble anyway, mentally uh, or addiction or in a relationship that you're it's abusive, any of number of things, and you don't know where to turn to, I, I always offer them to, to come to me and now. We we have Justin and and on my podcast I I list everybody and and all there. So in the show notes I will put all your contact info. All right, you'll send me. Uh, do you have a website? Are you on Instagram? Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. So uh, it's just www.justinbryan.com. Okay. Um, or Justin Bryan nineteen on Instagram. Now, if you go to my website, you can find ways on how to get me to be a speaker. Find ways on how you can do one-on-one -on -one coaching with me. Or I just released today a do-it-yourself six-week program. It doesn't have to be six weeks. You can do it however long you want. But it is a do-it-yourself guided to you, guided for you with video modules. Good. And you just go over it. You, you start to implement healthy habits. You know, you're kind of it's, – it's called mindset reset. Back to the basics. You go back to the basics, you know, eating healthier, you know. It, it encourages you to stop using alcohol for at least 42 days, right? Substances for 42 days, but it goes over things like self-limiting beliefs, setting your goals, your vision, your mission, setting healthy boundaries, and uh, your life assessment plan. And then there's a self-love soldier. So it's modules and thought-provoking questions that really get you thinking. Good. But you write them down, and then you can make a plan, and then you attack that plan. Couldn't have said it better myself. Justin, you're an amazing man, an amazing story. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Justin Bryan has a best-selling Amazon book. Um, I, I don't, if that doesn't say something right there, Chasing Shadows, Fighting the Monster Within, and I definitely know what that feels like. And I um, I, I have, a, you know, it's funny. Uh, um, I, I see you have a tattoo. I, I have a whole sleeve of demons and these are my monsters that are that yeah he's he's showing me his arms we both have tattoos my left arm is all my demons so i could i see them and i i know that they're there but they're 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 it's like the don't wake you know don't poke the bear so they're they're not active and on my right arm is of course all my spirituality and my recovery and my future and all that so um and it's great justin um Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You, um, I love your story, and I'm going to follow you on Instagram. We'll stay in touch. And everybody, if you, if you to listen to what he's saying, reach out for help. There is no shame in asking for help, right? Absolutely not. Okay. Everybody, Justin Bryan, thank you so much for joining me today, and we'll, 
We'll see you again soon. Thank you for having me. Absolutely amazing story. Thank you, Dustin Bryan. Folks, alcoholism, mental health, addiction, it is no joke. You know, covering all these topics from narcissism, gaslighting, and like I said in the beginning, we're going to dive deep into all of these topics. They are affecting so many lives in our culture, in our society, in our families. And yet there is not a lot of talk about it. Um, and, and I really want people to get the message that there is hope. Um, when I came out of that last relationship, I was in a dark, dark place. But today it is a much different space in my head. <laughs> Completely different. So, uh, again, thank you for listening. And as always, please subscribe, follow to my, my show. And if you could leave a review, if your platform allows it five stars would be nice or whatever you think I deserve and leave a little blurb at the bottom there and as always if it feels good do it but please if you're going to make a choice please choose wisely until next episode ciao